Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kauli. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kauli, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kauli. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Today, I have one of my favorite guests, Kimberly Radiker Bays with Exponential Property Group. Welcome to the show, uh, Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining. Uh, so Kimberly founded and uh, currently is the CEO of Exponential Property Group. Uh, she's done so many uh, deals. Uh, she currently has a portfolio of 5,000 units uh, and she done full cycle of about 2,500 units comprising of six uh, deals so far. So today we're going to you know, analyze and get learn more about her story. So uh, give us some background, uh, Kimberly, as to you know, how the explosive growth within your company came about, how you got started and all the good stuff. Absolutely. Um, so I actually started with some single family. I had spent uh, quite a few years working in the retirement plan industry. And so kind of started with the finance background and the numbers are kind of my thing. So sure. um, started with some single families. And then in 2011, in August, we purchased the first property that we ever had. And obviously that was a much easier time in the market cycle. Sure. Um, loans were just uh, becoming available again when at that time. And so we were able to acquire a 77 unit property in Irving, Texas. And that one was a fantastic one because according to the spreadsheet, if we raised the occupancy or we were able to hit our rents or we were able to do anything else, of course, we'd hit our target. Any one of three things going right would, uh, would get it solved. And so um, that was a fantastic first project for us and a good time to get started. Um, obviously, the market's become a lot tighter as we've, as we've grown, but um, still are able to find some good opportunities for projects and to really benefit both the residents, um, our employees that have grown along with us, and also the investors that we serve. Awesome, awesome. And I like that uh, sort of mindset that you put together, that you have a team, employees, and your investors grow together. And that's the win-win mindset that I'm always, you know, favorite uh, about. And I always keep talking about it's a win-win relationship and things like that. Uh, so Kim, um, digging into multifamily, right? So why you favor multifamily in a big way over single family? Like what are your experiences? Uh, uh, I know you come from a single family background. So, you know, hence the question. Sure. I spent some time in single family, but the big thing with multifamily is just that you can get such greater economies of scale, obviously, um, able to place a lot more money. Um, every transaction is, uh, can be difficult. There's difficulties in just extra transactional work that goes into it. So getting, you know, for example, our largest property is 656 units. So getting all of that in one single set of paperwork and transaction is definitely a lot easier than trying to amass that sort of a single family portfolio. Um, also, it's really helped us build a team. And so we're able to build a team. We've got on-site maintenance. We've got on-site management. And so it's allowed us to expand in a way that would have been much more difficult if everybody was calling me personally every time a dishwasher broke. 
Sure, sure. I can relate to it, uh, Kim, that we uh, personally managed, own and manage quite a big portfolio of single family and we have some apartments and things like that as well. And I perfectly relate to you the fact that having team and people around you who can help with different aspects of the thing, not just, uh, you know, the maintenance and the professional staff, it's more about leasing, looking at the books and things like that. It's such a team effort that I appreciate uh, such a detailed answer on it. Absolutely. Uh, Kim, on that uh, token, uh, when you are evaluating the deals, let's say something comes across your desk uh, currently. I know we are in a tight market. How, how, what is your deal criteria? Like what, what metrics are you looking at when something comes across your desk uh, right now? Well, we do value add properties. And so um, the primary metric, um, I guess we sort of do evaluate things a little bit differently than what a lot of other groups do. Um, the majority of our investors are very, very focused in value creation. And so really their concern is with increasing net worth much more so than immediate cash flow. And okay. so we do look for value add properties mm-hmm. uh, that can be achieved in any one of a number of ways uh, through interior renovations, exterior renovations. Um, we've taken on properties that had um, even 200 down units at one wow. point. So. Uh, we're, we're just about to finish the very last of those um, buildings. It's been kind of a year and a half effort on that, getting everything back I, online. I can imagine. I can imagine. Those had actually been down for about 15 years at least that we're aware of. Wow. Um, so most of the copper was gone and all sorts of things. So we kind of had to almost start from, from scratch. It was basically an empty shell, uh, but it allowed us to do some really cool things and modify the floor plans and create a much more modern feel, even though the property um, had been built a long time ago. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that detail because that answers my uh, next question, whether like you like the light value add was a deep value add. It sounds like your appetite and your capacity capability to take on such, um, you know, intricate projects, which could be, you know, probably 70, 80% vacant and complete distress situations, as we call it. Uh, you are absolutely a player in that space, which is uh, which is phenomenal, and and I think I think we'll we'll go into those spaces where how you use uh, bridge debt, property management, sourcing materials, things like that, managing the um, you know the entire project because it's a beast of its own. Uh, you know, doing a light value add versus something as you said, a two hundred unit uh, uh, project, uh, trying to you know bring online those two hundred unit does require a lot of uh, property management skills, sourcing, and there's a lot to learn. Could you maybe uh, give us some uh, background into uh, why you like such deep value add and how does that uh, you know, excel with respect to something light value add that most commonly you see? Well, I mean, we, we've certainly done a lot of projects that are lighter value add, and then we've done some that are really major value add. And um, really, I think the fact that we do manage internally, that our renovation crews are all direct employees of one of our entities, um, and that we do source the materials, gives us a unique ability to take on such a deep value add mm-hmm. and deal with that level of work and still have the controls and the force in place to make sure that that gets done and gets done well. Mm-hmm. Um, Certainly, it is not something that I would ever have had, you know, just some third-party management company take over and be like, oh, sure, we'll just hire a contractor. It'll be fine. (laughs) Uh, It it has been a much more involved project than that, kind of going back and forth with the city. One of the uh, adventures, I guess, in this process is that when we got, we'd already gotten one building fully online, leased up, 
and we were working on the final electrical inspection on um, the second building. And one of the inspectors came through and he said, well, you can't have electrical panels in new construction in the closets. And I said, this section of this property was built in 1974. It's not new construction, but it took right. quite some time to uh, work with the city and coordinate and get the right inspectors back out there and document everything appropriately so that we were able to then move forward with the rest of the project. So, sure, sure. There is a lot of shared love between the operator and the city. <laughs> so uh, give us insight into why the 200 units were down and what were some of the challenges when you went through? And I'm alluding to the fact that not just doing the work is the city inspectors, the bureaucracy and the red tape that goes along with this and um, how, you know, residents appreciated that, okay, we see a significant, uh, you know, new project that came in the neighborhood. Could you maybe give us a full uh, overview on things as to why, uh, you know, uh, was there like a neighborhood derelict, uh, derelict or was that some city code enforcement that caused a lot of these issues? Um, so we don't know the entire story, but the best mm -hmm. of what we've been able to figure out, um, all three phases of this property, it's 656 units total, Mm -hmm. were at one point owned by a single company and mm -hmm. they had done some renovation to the first two phases and it appears from what um, we've seen mm -hmm. that they were finally getting to phase three mm -hmm. and had gotten about halfway done with a boiler chiller conversion to individual HVAC. Mm -hmm. um, the electrical panels had been put in, lines had been run for the individual HVAC and then my guess is they either ran out of money um, it, we know it was in the early 2000s, so mm -hmm. could have been related to 9-11, could have been related to stock market crash kind of in 2000, 2001. Sure. Could have just been that they under budgeted for what they were going to need. Um, right. But one way or the other, they eventually threw back the keys on phase three. And so the lender um, foreclosed on that piece of it. Mm -hmm. So the sellers that I bought from um, actually owned the asset for about 12 years. So they had bought the two phases from the prior owner mm -hmm. and the third one from the bank. And every year, I think they looked at it because a, a lot of contractors, when we first were getting some of the bigger contractors and bigger vendors out there during mm -hmm. our due diligence process, they're like, I've been to this property every year. Nobody ever does anything with the bids that I give them. I just chase them <laughs> for hours and then um, don't actually get anywhere with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm, we're like, you guys know us. You've, we've, we've been good customers. And they said, yes, for sure. We know that's true. And so... Mm -hmm. um, they were willing to look at it for us one more time. And mm -hmm. so I think really the owners that we purchased from, um, it was a family out of California. Um, they had no loan on the property. They just owned it for cash. So they didn't have a lender making sure that they moved things forward. Mm -hmm. And I think they must have kind of come to some sort of a gentleman's agreement between them and the city that said, if we keep up the exterior, you'll ignore the fact that the interior is a disaster and uninhabitable and everything else. So really just being, um, you know, out of state owners and far away from the project, mm -hmm. they just never actually took it on. They always kind of intended to get around to it and then never actually took it on. And so, like I said, over those years, so we know for sure it was vacant for 15 years, but we don't know prior to that. Wow. Um, and these 200 units, uh, uh, Kim, how many buildings does this comprise of? Um, it's, I guess, nine buildings. Mm -hmm. um, really, they're numbered as eight buildings for some strange reason, but uh -huh. there's two building 48s. That both sides of the pool are building 48, and I have no idea why. But <laughs> uh, so I guess nine buildings, and uh, mostly small one bedrooms, but we have uh, some two bedrooms as well in that section. 
-hmm. And like I said, the really cool thing about this project is that we were able to um, go in and remove the teeny tiny kitchens that were there. And Mm -hmm. by taking out a wall, we opened them up into L-shaped island kitchens. So even though they're only like, um, you know, 500, 600 square foot units, we were able to really, I mean, it's just an entirely different Animal. Absolutely. An open modern layout. You open the door, you see the kitchen with, uh, you know, the, the queen of the house is happy to rent. Instantly. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and oh, what does this do to your uh, sort of bottom line, like as to what you bought versus uh, what are your projections looking like? Once you're done, uh, you lease it up and all that. What sort of valuations are you looking at? Um, well, I mean, once we lease it up, we should be able to well exceed our 100% capital gain goal, which is kind of what, we're tar- what we target when um, going into a project. Mm-hmm. So we should be able to well exceed that. Um, the income on the property as far as just rental income mm-hmm. will increase over $250,000 um, a month. So that's mm-hmm. gonna, it's a really big difference. Sure, sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's a massive undertaking and congratulations from bringing it to the finish line. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So uh, l- moving on, uh, Kim, that you did light value add, uh, you've done, you know, the deep value add, as I call it, right? Uh, what are your sort of now the criteria as to what you were uh, used to look at, like smaller deals, mid-sized deals, and now you know you, the, with the company that you've grown, uh, it brings uh, you know additional uh, sort of constraints of uh, staffing and legal and all sorts of administrative things. Uh, what sort of deal criteria are you looking at? Uh, let's say you know the uh, rent differential or whether it's valuations and things like that. Uh, could you maybe give us some insights into that? Well, a lot of the things that we can do as far as value add, I mean, it, we've found that it comes in many, many different places. Sure. Um, obviously, a lot of it can just be improved management. Mm-hmm. Uh, one property that we just recently purchased is another really large property. Mm-hmm. Um, the prior ownership group actually did some renovation to the property, but the first third-party management company they had really kind of ran it into the ground and didn't operate it correctly. Mm-hmm. And so they had occupancy drop. And so once they replaced the management company, occupancy went back up, but because they had to do such an extreme lease up, Mm-hmm. They have really hadn't kept up with a lot of the market rent increases for the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to just basically walk in the door day one because they had gotten at least up by the time we actually closed mm-hmm. and are seeing, you know, $140 more in some cases for certain units than what they were leasing for even just days beforehand. I so, see. Mm-hmm. so there's a lot that can be done on the management side. Um, obviously, because we specialize in the interior renovations, Mm-hmm. Uh, between our materials import business and the um, renovation crew that we have in-house. Mm-hmm. That's obviously a big piece of it. So we look for properties that could use the interior renovations. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's mm-hmm. definitely a big thing that we look for. Mm-hmm. And then obviously just looking for stuff that's going to hit our metrics and, and hit the investor returns that we try to provide. Sure, sure. Let, let's, let's go there in terms of, uh, we alluded to a couple of times that you source the material internally and internationally more so. Uh, could mm-hmm. you maybe uh, give us a full overview on what you source, what are the cost benefits and how, uh, like obviously when you're sourcing the material internationally, uh, I know you're, uh, you know, obviously buying in volume. So you have to have the space that, you know, you can store it in a warehouse and yada, yada, yada. Could you maybe give us a, a full overview on what that 
sort of operation looks like? I don't know if it's an entity of its own or how, how do you go about it? It is, it is an entity of its own. Um, that's this multifamily is now what that's called. And so we do um, supply materials to other owners as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but anyway, that, that business started um, in 2012. We sold the, that first property, which mm-hmm. was a 77 unit property. And the next property we bought was actually 244 units. Mm-hmm. You just went full time from that. <laughs> yeah, just go big or go home, right? It's Texas. Sure, absolutely. Um, so anyway, so we went into a 244 unit property and that property was our, our first foray into truly de- into the true deep value add, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't really have quite as many down units. There was really just one building that had um, had some flooding issues before that mm-hmm. really needed a ton of work, but it just had not been well cared for at all. And at the time that we purchased it, it was only 50% occupied. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that had, and obviously the, the clientele that we had um, in that 50% was not exactly the ideal clientele because mm-hmm. a few months before we bought the property, both boilers went out at one point and mm-hmm. there was no hot water for the property for 30 days. Oh my so goodness. Imagine that the people that stayed through that were not of the highest caliber of uh, residents. Yeah. So. Anyway, um, we were very, very fortunate through a local organization. We had met some close friends that became investors with us. Mm -hmm. And um, she is a Chinese national. And so we just started talking to her, um, another investor that we're close friends with that had done the loans on the first two properties. He likes to say that he sort of founded our materials company. He told me uh, one time, I was processing uh, some draw requests for one of my other loans today and um, this guy buys stuff from China and it's cheaper. You should do that. Sure, sure. Okay, sure, no problem. (laughs) So um, a little bit complicated, but on that particular project, especially with the 244 units, we were going to need hundreds of thousands of square feet of vinyl plank flooring. And so that was the first item that we went over and sourced and that worked very, very well. We still use that vendor today. Mm -hmm. And um, also sourced a few other things. We got some tile, Back then, um, got some doorknobs that were horrible and didn't really work and mostly ended up throwing that $6,000 away, mm-hmm. um, you know, able to get some cabinet hardware. And so then it just kind of developed from there as we got towards the end of that project and um, went under contract on a 444-unit property, which was our third property, is really when we rented the first warehouse space. And that was just 2,500 square feet um, in a kind of strip warehouse. Mm-hmm. And then we've expanded over the years and now have 10,000 square feet. And at the end of the year, we'll be moving into a 30,000 square foot facility because we've really grown, grown that side of the business, um, grown what we carry, the selection of what we offer. We also now are doing signage and branding and we've got a blind cutter coming in so that we'll be able to custom cut the faux wood blinds instead of just ordering them to size. So that's been a, it's been a cool adventure on that. Several trips over to China, which is an interesting place to be. Awesome, awesome. You are you are absolutely exponential and true to your name. And I and I want to congratulate you. I think you have a fantastic, um, inquisitive, opportunistic mind where I think someone mentions a small idea and it needs a lot of intelligence and inquisitiveness to kind of, you know, ask more questions you know, explore research more and, and personally not to, you know, go off on my own story, but that's how I am. If someone tells me like something new, I'm like, okay, tell me more about it. How does this work? I want to know the ins, the outs, you know, what other challenges and things like that. And for you to, I think, go into that tangent, I I just want to congratulate you because there are a lot of people who are talking, but there are not that many people doing 
and obviously doing it to a scale that you have done it's it's phenomenal and um uh, do you find a lot of like um, uh, you know investors uh, obviously that you have relations with and things like that they regularly come to you and uh, that becomes sort of another source uh, for them to purchase the materials from is that how sort yeah, of that absolutely uh, absolutely so i mean it just sort of started that we were going to get a warehouse because we needed to store stuff for ourselves sure and mm-hmm. a couple of our friends were like you know mm-hmm. hey can we buy some of the stuff too and mm-hmm. So it basically has grown mostly just on word of mouth. We're only just now really starting to push the growth side of that at all. Sure, um, sure. That separate entity. Um, right. So you're sourcing, uh, like, I guess, all the uh, stuff that goes on the interior, whether it's fixtures, doorknobs, uh, you know, I guess, uh, faucets, yeah, granite. Faucets, uh, light fixtures, granite. We've uh, got the exterior LED wall pack mm-hmm. lights now. That was a recent addition. Because um, mm-hmm. we're needing a lot of those for our 2,000 unit portfolio we bought last year. Um, all of the bath hardware, custom glass tile backsplash. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, uh, so uh, you are pretty well versed in uh, reading and speaking Chinese now? Is that what no, I mean? no, 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 no. <laughs> but but mostly how is about you know about the extent of my knowledge. But um, <laughs> but it's it's actually very good. Most of our vendors speak English or at least have somebody that speaks English very well. And we actually do have. Um, a contractor that we met on one of the trips over to China. Mm-hmm. Um, so she helps do some consulting and goes and checks on various shipments and things for us and true, true, true. Correspond, uh, adds some correspondence for us. Absolutely. You have to have that liaison that, you know, you can work with. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting that back home, I'm from India and uh, family is a, uh, you know, a big time almost uh, uh, in my hometown. They are, uh, you know, one of the top three builders and that's how they do it. Every time they'll do a new construction of apartment buildings and things like that they will just go into China and buy uh, material and they have these regular sources where uh, you know the uh, the liaison or the building uh, material liaison as they call it they'll set it up they'll uh, you know go into okay you want a contemporary furniture or uh, you know traditional looking and you know it's just I mean it's such a thriving business it's uh, it's an incredible model uh, what sort of cost savings you are seeing uh, by doing this uh, Kim um, I would say that we save internally for our projects probably 30 to 40% off of what we could get just wow. purchasing mm-hmm. directly from a domestic vendor. So I it really see. does provide substantial cost savings. Sure, sure. So to, so to for our listeners to put it in perspective, an entry-grade granite, uh, as we all probably know, comes around in that $29 to $30 per square feet. That's kind of the generally the entry range. Uh, so typically you would expect to see this granite uh, that you can offer, perhaps maybe around $20 or $15, would that be a fair statement? Um, um, actually, we use the two centimeter granite because it's a lot easier to work with in the units, but we mm-hmm. um, are able to source that for well under $10 a square foot. Incredible, so incredible. We're actually able to put granite in units now for about the cost of one and a half to two resurfacings, depending on the size of the kitchen. Wow. Um, wow. That's that made is, a huge difference. That, then, that, that is incredible. It's done in turn costs over the, over the course of time. That is incredible. And I cannot imagine an appraiser coming through and looking at your units and saying what the value of these units is. And yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, you, you always hear that ching ching every, every time you do these renovations. Wow. I am, I'm super pumped to know your story. 
thank you for sharing that. Um, so analyzing the P&Ls that you see, uh, Kim, uh, for our new investors, could you maybe share some tips about when, you're, when someone is looking at a P&L for a large uh, apartment building? Um, what, what sort of metrics you look at? Is the staffing appropriate? Do they have the contracting ser services, like whether it's uh, you know, snow removal, asphalt, things like that? All of that, are they appropriate with the size of the uh, building and things like that? Could you maybe share some tips about uh, what your experiences have been around that? Sure, absolutely. Um, being in Texas, one of the really nice things is there's not a snow removal line. Absolutely. Right now, which we, which we very much appreciate. Um, I did right. look at some financials for a property up in Kansas City a couple of years back, and I saw snow removal expense, and I was like, wow. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> I remember living up north and having snow. Absolutely. Oh, I never thought about that being on the financials. But yes. Absolutely. And with snow comes the freezing pipes and everything. And that's that's another thing you got to worry about. Absolutely. <laughs> One of the things that I see a lot in terms of analyzing properties um, or something to watch out for is depending on how the broker put together a package mm -hmm. in the OM, um, sometimes they'll oftentimes say, go do your water conservation, you drop your water bill by so much and whatever else. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I always watch for is to make sure that in any of those projections, we also have that the rubs and the water bill back to the residents mm -hmm. are going to drop as well. Because sure. that is something that people look at. They're like, oh yeah, no, the other income's great. Well, yes, but if you cut the water bill by 50%, you can only bill a certain percentage back legally, at least in Texas. And so, mm -hmm. um, so making sure that that other income also gets offset by things. Um, Staffing-wise, I mean, obviously we have our own set of kind of general staffing criteria, but look at the sell, look at the seller's financials. Make sure that it seems like everything is adequately covered. Mm -hmm. um, make sure that we're using our own numbers as far as medical insurance, what our workman's comp, all of those kind of expenses are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, utilities can definitely be a big place to save. Like I said, with the water conservation, that's a huge piece of any project that we take on. Sure. Um, other things to watch for is just kind of how much is how much is being spent on advertising and is that advertising budget based on the location of the property what kind of clientele are you trying to attract so all of those kind of things um, really looking for what the city fees are because those can vary wildly from um, city to city sure, even sure. in a local so, area so with with city fees uh, what are you referring to are you referring to taxes or some uh, uh, citations uh, or, or and things like that that come along the way or any it's mostly just the annual inspections and multifamily licenses sure mm -hmm. uh, some cities you know it's five six ten dollars a unit um, annually mm -hmm. and there's other cities that are closer to forty or fifty dollars per unit annually. I see. So those, absolutely those can definitely um, spread a little bit and our tax rate is high in Texas. And so um, that's one of, that's probably the, that and payroll are the two biggest line items on any P&L down here. And so really watching for that, um, keeping on top of the tax protest can make a huge difference as to whether, um, as Texas is a non-disclosure state, that can make a huge difference as to whether you're profitable or not, honestly. Right, right, right. And uh, regarding staffing, uh, Kimberly, wh what what are your criteria? Like, are you maybe saying that, hey, I need a uh, per unit, like, let's say 50 to 70 units, I need one leasing staff, one maintenance staff. How, how do you go about that? Um, so it, it obviously varies quite a bit by property size. But sure. what we found is usually things that are kind of in the, 
mid 200s to low 300s, oftentimes mm -hmm. manager, assistant manager, and one leasing in the mm -hmm. office. On occasion, an extra part-time leasing, just depending on if you're open seven days and kind of how the traffic flow is. Sure. And then usually about three maintenance outside. Mm -hmm. um, then of course, on some of our larger properties of 650, we've got three leasing agents. We've got five in the office and then six out um, on the sites between the quarter and the lead maintenance and all of our technicians. I see. I see. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for uh, clarifying that. And now, uh, Kim, you are a proponent of, um, you know, purchasing the units, managing them uh, internally. Uh, yeah. Could you maybe uh, kind of give us some benefits as to, you know, obviously there's lower costs. Some, some are obvious, but uh, through your years of ownership and management, uh, could you maybe uh, sort of enlighten us as to when you started, you did not think it will turn that way. But as year went on, like, could you maybe explain us like some of the stories and uh, some benefits that you have seen by actually, uh, you know, operating it, you know, whether it's tenant satisfaction, uh, lower cost savings and things like that. Could you maybe give us some insights into it? Absolutely. So we um, were fortunate that we were able to start with the very first property um, with our own management company. And so at that point we had two employees. Uh, one manager, one maintenance guy on that first 77 units, and now we've grown to about 170 across all of the various entities, including the renovation crew and the materials import business. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest thing for me on having the property management internally is just that we have so much more control over the entire process. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you have a third-party management company, things could go pretty far awry before you're really willing to make that change. You, should, you sure. might even have to do entire changes in personnel if you switch management companies or perhaps right. the software conversion and other things that can be really disruptive to the business. And mm -hmm. probably if you were making that change, it would be at a time when the business had already been somewhat disrupted. And so sure. mm -hmm. I, th I think that's really the biggest thing is just having the great deal of insight and control into it. You know, knowing that our entire accounting team and our controller have all been trained up by me to look through the financials, how things ought to be coded, where things need to be, how we need to manage the money, making sure, and a lot of it too is just making sure that the employees are treated well. Um, sure. that's, a huge, that's a huge piece of what we do and the benefit that we provide is to give people jobs. Mm -hmm. And so we wanna make sure that they are um, given a good place to work and mm -hmm. good benefits and that we really kind of build that team um, in all aspects of things. And so I think those are a lot of the reasons that it's been really helpful for us to have it in-house. I mean, sure, there's definitely some cost savings that come along with it. But I think really the biggest thing is just being able to have the access to everything mm -hmm. so that you can dig into the details. If anything isn't going quite as planned, you can immediately kind of dive in, dig into the details, go talk to the staff, find out what's going on so that you can make much smaller changes much faster. Um, Absolutely. The Absolutely. And thank you. And one of the points I think you mentioned also, which I want to again highlight is that momentum factor that, you know, you got different systems, different cultures. And if, if that's uh, sort of that property management piece is given to someone else, just trying to shift the entire uh, wagon of things can be such a difficult undertaking that you got different cultures of how people work and things like that. It's, it's almost like makes your job double difficult to come back and turn it around just so the fact 
And just the fact that, you know, you instill your own management and you go from strength to strength to strength is, uh, I mean, I find it extremely valuable. And I, I and uh, speaking from experience that I, I see so many, uh, you know, mistakes that are done, things that you know on the ground are different and different companies are, uh, you know, probably just misstating to different owners. And there's just so much uh, cost savings and control uh, that you said it's uh, such a classic uh, uh, thing that you want to have. And I, and I think uh, the bigger the deals, I think there's a lot, lot on the uh, sort of riding on your back, so to speak, you know. Uh, so uh, Kim, uh, moving on, uh, your company has scaled. Uh, you know, obviously your executive leadership uh, team has scaled as well. You probably have different division heads that are doing different things at this point. Uh, mm -hmm. So what I want to sort of delve into is your day-to-day -day things that uh, you are challenged about and obviously uh, someone at your uh, uh, core of strength that you have and the, and the platform that you have today there's always that struggle about how do I move my company forward what sort of systems what sort of my next vision would be uh, could you maybe give us some insights into what are your day-to-day -day challenges what sort of two-year, three-year, five-year uh, plans are you looking for? Could you maybe give us the entire uh, sort of uh, scheme of things uh, with this? Sure, absolutely. So I guess the big changes um, is in 2017, we actually sold three properties and bought three properties. Mm -hmm. um, and some of those transactions were a little bit challenging. Um, mm -hmm. I guess that, that would be putting it pretty mildly, I suppose. And uh, so just really at that point, I got to a place where I realized that too much of my executive team was really kind of at red line. At, the, at that point, it was really kind of three of us that were primarily um, responsible for most of the biggest management decisions. Mm -hmm. And so when we were doing that many transactions, it was just really pushing all of us kind of to red line. And with six in a year, there wasn't really enough time between the things to kind of recoup. And so um, yeah. the biggest thing we were trying to figure out is kind of where, okay, where do we go from here? We were, we'd been sitting, hovering kind of right in that 2000 unit mark for several years. And so um, we made the decision that the best way to do that was to scale up and get bigger so that we could bring in additional talent uh, to take some of those things off and kind of spread the load a little bit. Sure, and sure. So, so uh, l l let me ask you a follow-up in that uh, uh, in between there, Kim, is that sure. did that meant that you had to let some management team go and replace somebody with, uh, you know, bigger, better scaling mentality? Or was that just a pure addition of uh, uh, new blood into the team? Could you maybe? Just that? a pure addition, thankfully, at this point. So okay. um, okay. mm -hmm. it's been great to just, just add to the team and kind of spread the load further. Mm -hmm. But we've been able to keep at least the core group of us um, together and growing together and kind mm -hmm. of it's a labor of love for all of us so but sure. we have expanded the team pretty substantially um so last year we actually acquired a 2000 unit portfolio awesome. and in many ways it was almost um an acquisition of another company very similar to ourselves because we were kind of going from uh, 2200 units and adding an extra 2000 on top of that Wow, um, that's like doubling the size. <laughs> right, it was an out of country owner, but that actually had his own management company and he was selling his whole portfolio. And so one of the things that we loved about that was that they had been sort of run with that same sort of family atmosphere that we try to provide to mm -hmm. all of our team members mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to acquire virtually all of the staff with the properties. 
I see. So and was that an off-market transaction uh, came that No, through? that one was on market. Um, it, it, kind of okay. a funny story about that one. Actually, in 2017, it originally hit the market, and we started analyzing and looking at it at that time. Mm-hmm. And then it got pulled from the market due to some tax law changes mm-hmm. and then put back on in 2018. But we were very, very fortunate that we were able to eventually uh, went out on that one and mm-hmm. um, we got to know the owners a little bit through the process. And mm-hmm. so we were able to double our team through that um, acquisition of that portfolio. And that's been a huge game changer for us because that really let us grow big. But then I, I think the big thing to sort of target to your question is the biggest struggle for me was how to keep a handle on everything without having my hands in everything. Now that it had scaled up that <laughs> Let's much. Let's put it mindly. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was probably the biggest thing for me. And so it's been a real time of kind of personal and company growth as far as adjusting to my own kind of new role that I have to step back a little bit from some of the details that I used to be more involved in sure. um, and really kind of train up and build up the next layer of leadership to handle a lot of things. And so I think that's been a fantastic process. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, one of the big blessings, uh, read the book called Traction uh, this Absolutely. last fall. And so um, we've been implementing EOS here at our company, and that's made a huge difference. Um, as much as I am somebody that I would have always said I hate meetings, mm-hmm. um, that's actually been getting kind of all of that coordinated has really made a huge difference in terms of what we've been able to do, getting everybody on the same page, rolling things down, getting everybody rowing in the same direction. Absolutely. That's such a favorite book. It's it's always next to my nightstand along with that book, The One Thing, and I think The Millionaire Mindset. There are like few staple books that I always keep that, you, you know, whatever time I have, I'll, I'll, you know, kind of read through it again and again. It's, read back uh, stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, absolutely. That's been great. That's, that's the biggest thing we've done as far as trying to really get everybody coherent now that it, it now that it is a little bit bigger we actually have added some i've had my director of operations with me for over four years now mm-hmm. and she's incredible she runs the property management side of the business mm-hmm. but so a big piece of this growth has been getting her help as well so we've brought in two additional regionals that report up to her and so um those are a lot of the things that we're doing to make sure that the front lines still feel the love that we have for them mm-hmm. even though it's less often that we're able to make it to every site Right, right. Let, let's take a few minutes, uh, Kim, if you may. Uh, like, uh, explain us that uh, chronology or uh, sort of that whole state of things that went along. You went from, uh, let's say, a 77 unit to the largest number of units that you have now. You probably started from, let's say, operating on, on your dining table, now having an office, executive assistant, and things like that. Now you have regional heads. Could you maybe give us a a sort of a chronology of how things scaled up and how you grew your management team around it. And, and the reason I'm asking that question, uh, Tim, is that uh, there are always, you know, in, uh, you know, operators that I have seen who grow from a owner mindset to an asset management mindset. And it's it's a different mindset of how you look look at things and that you're looking at, you know, from being an operator of multifamily properties to a uh, sort of a uh, steward mentality where you're saying that I'm a fiduciary uh, of my investors. I have to look at the performance and for to do that, I need to have all of that executive staff that is having eyes and ears on all, all the operations. Would you maybe uh, give us an insight on how your staff and the executive leadership grew uh, through the years? 
Um, sure. So Natasha, um, I actually met uh, a little over four years ago. She's mm -hmm. been on the team for four years now, and that's been probably the biggest asset, um, really finding her and connecting. Mm -hmm. I was looking for a regional manager. We'd gotten to a size of about a thousand units where we were going to mm -hmm. be able to really bring that on and kind of get myself out of that role because I, I used to kind of do a little bit of everything. Sure. Mm -hmm. So um, the really cool thing about that is that, you know, I asked her kind of what she loved to do and she loves the marketing and she loves the HR side and she loves being out with the teams. And she's like, but she's like, I can do it, but I just don't really like the financials. And I was like, well, I love the financials and I'm not really <laughs> fond of the HR side. So, mm -hmm. uh, so it's just been a match made in heaven. So she was kind of the first, piece and then um, I brought in another team member Amanda um, who she and I have actually been best friends since eighth grade and I convinced her to move here from Florida and so we um, she kind of came here originally as an admin if you will and has mm -hmm. grown to where she's now director of investor services so she awesome. keeps all mm -hmm. the investors very very spoiled and make sure that they all get responded to quickly and all their questions get answered and you know resets logins for the portal and all those things whenever that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. um, then we've now added, I guess, especially with the um, import side of the business growing with exist growing. Mm -hmm. So we now have um, chief marketing officer for that side um, that also helps with a lot of our design and marketing um, on this side of the business. Mm -hmm. um, my husband now has joined the team and he sort of runs that whole exist import graphics Mm -hmm. um, construction side of things. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. um, that's been a great, we've got a um, vice president of acquisitions that joined us late last year mm -hmm. to, to really kind of take off some of that transactional load. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I think, I think we have management being an important piece of it as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love the fact that I think you are growing your team and looking at, uh, you know, how uh, the existing staff can scale up like someone who's at an admin position can become a head manager with training and things like that, which, Absolutely. which, which, you know, speaks to the inclusive culture and, you know, how you look at sort of, uh, you know, for the greater benefit of all the people around you. And, and, and honestly, I think that's the success mantra right there that you let other people win and, you know, you see how the company grows. I think it's, it's been awesome. Uh, so thank you, Tim. I appreciate uh, you sharing so many insights. Um, Tim, with uh, a couple of uh, last questions there came is that uh, with the size of your company that has grown now, um, where, where do you get this inquisitive hunger that, uh, you know, you want to grow to that next level? Where, where does that hunger come from? Is that like set goals that you have or uh, how, how, where do you bring that hunger? Well, I'm, I'm definitely more goal elusive than most people that have grown as fast sure. as I have been, uh, mm -hmm. which is a little odd. The hardest thing that they ever had to do with me with the EOS was get me to set, set a 10 year target. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I don't normally try to think that far ahead, but I think the biggest thing is, um, a couple of my friends uh, have asked me over time, you know, how much is enough? And one of them was uh, one of our early investors that now has gone on to own um, several apartment properties himself. Hmm. And he said, well, how much is enough? And I said, hmm. you know, Brian, honestly, I passed enough somewhere in the middle of the night one night. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there, was, there was almost nothing and then something finally sold and then there was, you know, more than enough for everything. But, sure. um, so, but I think the big thing is the this is sort of become my vocation. This is what I can do in order to make the world a better place. I can give people a better place to live. I can give sure. people a good job and play, ability to grow. One of the unique things about us is we actually encourage our employees to invest when they can. 
So we've, um, we've gotten employees investing so that they're securing their future in that way. And then the big thing is just the investors. The, I mean, we have been unique in that all of our investors are just individual people. Um, right. And right. so by having those individual people, we've gotten to see so many really cool transformational stories and people that have right. been able to take trips they never thought they'd be able to take or send their kids to college sure, without sure. debt. Um, so really that's kind of the why now. And then sure. we're um, also looking at starting a foundation. Um, so we've got, we're still working on the paperwork. So it's in the earlier stages, but, um, but I have twin boys that have autism. And so that's mm -hmm. one of the other um, big goals is just mm -hmm. as long as we can build this in a way that everybody's enjoying mm -hmm. it and enjoying running it and what we're doing, it's able to really improve the lives of a whole lot of people. And so hopefully we'll at some point make a good sized dent and, some of the autism issues as well. Awesome, awesome. I, I think you see the world from a place and a lens of love, uh, which is phenomenal, uh, Kim. I want to really congratulate you because I think as you said that you encourage your employees to invest. I mean, you know, think about like someone saying, hey, just, you know, encouraging someone that, hey, just invest 10,000 into this. You will see the growth and you will Definitely. see that your 10,000 becomes like, 30, 40, 50,000 in less than, uh, you know, three years. And imagine that person, uh, you know, whether that's maintenance staff and things like that, what, what that does to his family. I mean, Absolutely. I just want to congratulate you on that. And, and other, I think that sort of a very important uh, aspect on that is that the ownership mentality that comes uh, and the loyalty that comes from employees that cannot you cannot, uh, you know, sort of substitute that even by a higher pay. Like when someone oh, says that, oh, my owner got my back, you know, they recently, you know, invested on my behalf and things like that. And, you know, these people working hard and going to that extra mile, uh, you know, keeping the customers uh, satisfied, whether it's working that extra 15 minutes, an hour, things like that, and making sure, you know, whether it's simple landscaping and things like that. There are just so many untold stories that, if, that go around this, that that loyalty and that ownership that brings from the employees is just irre irreplaceable. I mean, I, I cannot, I mean, uh, congratulate you enough on that. Uh, just one last question uh, now, Kim, is that what, is, what are your sort of your goals, your habit of success that what do you do daily that, uh, you know, I think keeps you fresh uh, in this? Um. I don't know. I guess just working hard for the most part has been a huge piece of it. Um, I suppose in some ways I feel like I've accomplished things that should have been impossible by just continually putting one foot in front of the other. Try to just keep a really positive outlook on things and try to make a difference wherever I can and touch, touch people wherever I can. And um, I know everybody kind of says they care about people, but I just genuinely want to make a difference and want the world to be a better place and want to positively impact people's lives and so Absolutely. that's been a really huge piece of it so like, that's kind of what does keep me going every day is just try to figure out okay how do we do this and like, um, one of the things that I kind of always caution some investors that are just getting started in this particularly when they're syndicating mm -hmm. is understand that first of all property management is not easy I wouldn't have it any other way I wouldn't have it outsourced to anybody else sure. but it's not yeah. always an easy thing and so the big thing is understanding what you're getting into from that perspective 
and right. really building the team um, to be able to do it well. Because as soon as you're taking somebody else's money, that is a huge fiduciary duty. And so, absolutely, uh, absolutely. And 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 you touched upon Kim a very important aspect of these things where you know I continually ask uh, you know other operators as well is that there's a notion out there that oh you can you know just partner and get into syndications and go into bigger multifamily properties. And uh, sort of my personal opinion is that you have to understand, you know, the all aspects of, uh, you know, just the real estate in general, and perhaps, you know, doing some renovation, single family is sort of a, a good way to get your feet wet and then transition into the big boys play. Well, would you, sure. would you maybe uh, uh, comment on that, uh, Kim? No, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, kind of just scaling up, paying it. I mean, the biggest thing is just really paying attention. I mean, I, I oftentimes tell people, I fully understand that every single night when I go to sleep, I am responsible on some level for not only my family's financial future, but also for that of close to 400 in our entire investor pool across all the different projects and 170 employees. So that is something that you have to take seriously and really um, spend time in and make sure that you build the right team and that it's the right people paying attention. Um, active investing is definitely not a passive sport. So. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest thing. Um, and you know, there's a lot of people out there that do it very, very well. Uh, I'm very pleased to be friends with a lot of other investors sure. that are active in the space mm -hmm. and that also syndicate and other things. But that is something that I always tell people when they're you know, like, oh, I, I want to go buy a property and you know, I'm going to syndicate it and everything else. I'm like, be careful. You need to, you need to know what you get yourself into. Be I wouldn't care. have it any other way. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that should be the tweet that should be highlighted is that active investments is not a passive sport. Do not, do not take this lightly. And uh, with that, Kim, I know you are pressed for time. I truly appreciate uh, you joining uh, today. Uh, I think I'm going to probably uh, delve into a lot more interesting topics with you on a future podcast. I would I love that. I think there's going to be such a uh, value that you know all the investors new and experienced can learn from you with the growth that you have done. So I appreciate you taking time today. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.